Hello, and welcome to Meditations from Middle Earth. My name is Strider, and I'm a Christian worker here in where I call Middle Earth. We love to meditate on God's Word, and He's given us so many unique and rich experiences here in Middle Earth, and I'd like to share those insights with you here on Meditations from Middle Earth. Today we're going to continue with our meditation on the temptations of Jesus in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4. But before we get to that, uh, I want us to talk about our discipline for today. I've, I've tried to begin each one of these lessons with a lesson on a spiritual discipline and then moving on to uh, Guido's Ladder by doing the Lexio Divina, which is our, and then meditating on that verse of Scripture, and then praying, silent meditation, and then closing. and And I hope that this is a rhythm that you can get into uh, with or without listening to my voice on this podcast. But as we look at um, the disciplines each day that we that we do this. I pray that these are all disciplines that you can um, access and put into practice in your life. Today's is particularly important and particularly problematic. Today we're going to look at the discipline of submission, also kind of known as the cross discipline. If we want to define it, it's uh, submission is willingly laying down our rights for others for the sake of serving Christ. Now, we have a, a problem with laying down our rights uh, in the West. Uh, we don't like to do it. Um, our rights are precisely that. They're our rights. They're the things that we're entitled to. Uh, they're things that uh, the world and God himself owes us, and we elevate those uh, very much in our uh, hearts and minds as we think about how we are in control of our lives. We're the boss, and we make our decisions for us. This is really hard for us to get our, our heads around um, that maybe something's wrong with this picture. When we go to the scriptures, of course, uh, we talk about uh, the famous Ephesus verses where we submit ourselves one to another. Uh, we talk about uh, submitting in, in various forms, and we're okay with the idea of maybe I submit to God, uh, but after that, it's really difficult for us to submit to uh, others, uh, either worldly authorities or even non-authorities. And as we, as we try to um, navigate life, it's hard for us to give up uh, our rights for, for anybody else, for any purpose at all. Uh, and, and we've certainly seen that even in recent days, this difficulty that we have of laying down our rights or even being uh, offended at the idea of being asked to give up our rights. is uh, Even that is an offense. And yet, this is the cross-discipline. And uh, Jesus asked us in Mark 8, 34, you know, to take up your cross and follow me. And what is the cross but... You know, a crucifixion of you, your rights, your life, the life that you've decided to lead is now going to be not taken from you. 
but given up. And I would say that as we look at the discipline of submission, this is a, a huge, huge difference in our English words, submission and subordination. Um, that word subordination also gets thrown around in our popular culture, and um, it gets thrown around in military terms in our uh, general English usage of the word. Uh, but in uh, religious language, we have um, there's been a whole stream of um, theologians who have thrown in the word subordination, and I would put it to you that subordination is not a biblical word, and it's not. Uh, what we're striving for in the discipline of submission. And here's the difference that I would, I would say. And that uh, submission is me taking my life and giving it away. Jesus says, no one takes my life, but I lay it down. It was his to take up and it was his to lay down. And in subordination, now you're looking at positionally I am underneath someone else's authority. Positionally, I don't have a choice. I'm under that. I'm subordinate to this authority, this power, this somebody else's will. And now it's no longer I who make decisions, but it's, it's, it's the authority over me that makes decisions. And, and at first glance, this can sound spiritual, right? because I'm under subordination to the Lord, or I'm under subordination to worldly spiritual authorities, and it sounds like a humble and gracious thing to say. But actually, it's the giving away of your power and the giving away of your rights. And you have to remember that we are made in the image of God. We have agency. We are loved by God. We are cared for by God. It is God who has given us personhood. It is God who has given us uh, agency, which means the uh, ability to make decisions. It is God who has loved us and uh, inhabited us um, and given us existence and strength. And therefore, to give this away to somebody else is idolatry. Um, we're to give it only to God. God is the one who created us. He created us for his purposes. And to give ourselves away and our position away to anybody else means to, uh, is to steal what is God's and to uh, give it to what is not God. Now, so subordination, I would put it to you, is uh, not correct way to think about things spiritually. If you're in the military, yes, you are subordinate. But you placed yourself willingly into that system. Uh, where you are subordinate to your superior officers. We, however, living in the body of Christ, are in no such position. So now we are in a situation where we have agency. Uh, we are children of God. We don't need a mediator. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So it's us and Jesus. And now Jesus says, I submitted I laid down my life, I laid down my rights for others. I'm asking you to do the same. And so with the strength of knowing that our lives are our own, we then turn and lay down in submission our rights for others. And, and there's, a, there's a liberation then. You know, we look to Richard Foster, as I often do, and his celebration of discipline, and he talks about this um, 
discipline of submission as by saying it's a liberation of giving up your rights, the liberation of valuing other people. So in other words, you recognize that not only were you given agency and you were given ability and you were given love and grace and existence in in, uh, the sight of God, other people were also, and now you voluntarily submit to others, not because you're afraid of them or afraid of the consequences of not doing that, but because out of love, you lay down your rights for other people. You value other people. So now you're liberated from uh, the fear of uh, determining what other people think of you or manipulating other people to value you. So you lay down that by, by valuing others. Uh, you have the liberation to respond in love. And as you uh, respond in love to others, you know, you, we, we talk about loving our enemies or turning the other cheek you know, caring for our, our enemies and caring for our friends and, and laying down our, our lives for each other. Even greater love has no man than this, than he'd lay his life down for his friend. And so all these things are as the discipline of submission, where we're taking rights that we have, giving them away for the good of others, submitting ourselves to others. And there's liberty in that. There's freedom in that. And we have the freedom to respond in love. And we also have the liberation of not getting our own way. We can see examples of this around the world, even right now, where people who have to get their own way are now trapped in bondage. They trap themselves in in this bondage of believing that they have to have something in order to um, prove their value, their worth. And as they have their own way, uh, their own way becomes the way to hell itself. Uh, as they're unable to achieve what they want to achieve, or worse, they do achieve what they want to achieve, and they do it all without without love, without grace, without the presence of God in their life, or without seeking God in their life. So the liberation to not get your own way is actually a, a pretty important thing for us to learn. And parents learn this right away. Every Every parent knows that he's the boss. She's in charge. It's the mom. It's the dad. And the kid is going to listen to the mom and dad. Well, you bring that kid home from the hospital, and the mom and the dad have determined in their own self-importance that we're going to get a good night's sleep tonight. And what happens? At 2 o'clock in the morning, the child is awake, and the parents are awake. And now now we have seen them laying down their right, their right to a good night's sleep, Uh, for the sake of the child. The child is not in command. The child is not in authority. Uh, The child holds no um, positional uh, power over them. But because it's the child and because the parents love the child, they lay their right down for the child. This is what God does for us. This is what we do for each other. This is the discipline of submission. It's not masochistic, it's not self-destructive, um, and it's never forced. If you force submission, if, you, if, if you're just looking over at your neighbor and thinking, he really should submit, it'd be just so good for his spiritual journey if he would just submit to me right now, and I need to get him to see that. That's called manipulation, and you might be exactly right, but by doing it, you're exactly wrong. And no, it is we who submit to others. 
and uh, we, we submit to God, we submit to the Scripture. Uh, this, is, this can be a real act of, of um, humility and uh, to, to read the Word of God uh, and to know that the voice of God is speaking to you and then to submit to that and say, yeah, that's the right way. It's not the way I wanted to go. It's not, the, it's, not what, it's not what I wanted to be true. Maybe it's not what my culture told me was true. It wasn't what my neighbors had told me was true. Um, but as I read it, I, real, I hear the voice of God. I know this is the truth, and I submit myself to the truth. I'm going to live in reality rather than live in what my culture says or what my background says or what my misunderstandings of whatever might have taught me from, uh, from childhood on, and now I'm laying all that down to submit myself to Scripture, to family, to our neighbors. I just said, don't, don't listen to them. Well, but we do listen to them. We do submit to our family. We do uh, love them and give them the right to speak, the right to even control uh, our actions. We do give uh, our neighbors we submit to them and we give them the right to speak into our lives and the right to uh, our time and to our talents and to our, our, uh, even our, our, our belongings. Um, we give ourselves to the poor and the needy and we submit to them and we submit to the world, a lost and dying world that's in darkness and despair and grief and tearing itself apart and we, we just want to escape out of all of that or condemn all of it out of hand but instead, we, we bow the knee and we say, yeah, we're going to serve you. We're going to love you. We're going to give up our... We have the right to enjoy our wealth as we want, but instead, we're going to give up our wealth. Uh, and, and, and our wealth of time, our wealth of talent, our wealth of energy, and we're going to give all these things. And that is submission. Where we're doing it not out of coercion and fear, that's subordination. No, submission is where I have control of my life and I decide that I'm serving God, I'm loving others, and what others need from me, I give. In Thomas Akempis' wonderful book, The Imitation of Christ, uh, early on he comes up with uh, four things that bring great peace. I was always struck by these. I just thought they were, when I was younger, I thought they were quite extreme. And as I get older, I see more and more the wisdom that they have. Number one, he says, Strive, my son, to do another's will rather than your own. Choose always to have less rather than more. Seek always after the lowest place and be subject to all. Wish always and pray that the will of God be fulfilled in you. So there's the four things which bring great peace, he says. And this, to me, is real submission. Striving to do another's will rather than your own. When I was young, there was nothing more offensive than you, that you could have said to me than this. And yet, as I've gotten older, uh, seeking to do another's will, um, to do the Father's will, to do the will of those around me who are in need, and um, to submit to others and let them have sway over me, uh, not because they deserve it or um, because they've earned it, um, but because I decide that the best way for me to love them and to love God is to submit. 
And this is a hard, a hard thing for us to learn. And I've taken a little extra time with this today, but I hope you see that it's necessary because this is a discipline that we rail against in our hearts. It's difficult for us to get here. And yet, as Thomas says, this is the road to great peace. And now let's turn to our Lexio, Matthew in chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Let's stop and reflect on that for a minute. The devil takes him up to the holy city. This is obviously some kind of vision that he has him in. And he places him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he says to them, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Why would he do that? What's the point of this? What is the devil tempting him to do? As I think about this, I, I think the, the main thing he's tempting him to do, and I, and I honestly, I can't really make sense of this verse unless I apply it straight back to my own life. When do I do this in my own life? When is it that I put the Lord to the test? And, it's, and it seems to be a meaningless test. I mean, I mean, it is perhaps true that if he had thrown himself down from the temple and then was rescued by a bunch of angels, that people would have seen this in front of the very busy temple and uh, this miracle would have caused everybody to follow him uh, out of fear of his greatness. And that's possible, I guess. It doesn't exactly say that. Um, what it does say is, as Jesus rejects this temptation, he says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So I think, as I process this in my own mind, when have I done this? Um, and, and the answer is never. I've never even been to Jerusalem, so I've never thrown myself off the temple. But when have I done this spiritually? When have I tested God? When have I said, Lord, I'm going to do a foolish thing and, and I want you to come through for me? And I have done this. And I think that what, we, what we're trying to do when we do this is to prove that to ourselves that God exists. And we're doing that by putting him under our control. So, Lord, I know you had plans for today, but actually my plan is that you do what I say. I'm going to do something and I expect you to come through for me. I'm going to pray a prayer over somebody. I'm going to expect you to answer it. I'm going to take a chance and expect you to cover me if I fall short. I'm going to try something in my life, and I expect you to be there when I get to the other side. And I expect my endeavors to be successful. 
because I expect you to come through for me. And I expect God to do is never a good way to begin any sentence. And I think that uh, putting God under our control is the temptation here that the devil is giving to Jesus at this point. If you're the Son of God, remember, here's that if you're the Son of God again. Jesus knows he's the Son of God. The Father just told him he was his Son. And they're at the baptism in chapter 3, and here's the enemy trying to bring doubt on this and saying, well, if you're really the Son of God, surely... He's going he's gonna to come through for you. You can do something crazy, and he's going to back you up. And again and again, I think we do this in our lives. Sometimes we legitimately believe that we're doing something great for God. And, um, and that if, you know, and that as his children, he should just back our play. Yeah, I'm going to try this big program. I'm going to try this big thing. I'm going to uh, try a new business venture. I'm going to try a new evangelism program. I'm going to do something, and Lord, you're just going to back me up on this because, well, that's what you do. You're the great Santa Claus in the sky. I pray, you give. That's the relationship we have. And for too many of us, and for myself also, this is the relationship that we, that we have tried to have with God, and it is not a game that he's willing to play. He's, he is not... Santa Claus, and he doesn't uh, allow us to have control. He submits to us again and again and again. He keeps us going. He helps us. He blesses us. He, his presence is with us. The rain falls on the rich on the, and the poor, on the believer and the unbeliever. He blesses the whole earth, and at the same time, he does that because it's his choice to do it, not because we're in control, not because we offered a right sacrifice or uh, we, we are some kind of uh, have special spiritual favor because we know the truth. You know, we have our correct doctrine and we have our uh, right thinking about Jesus and about God. And therefore, he's going to do what we say. That is not the relationship that we have. He is almighty God. He is not Santa Claus. And this is something that's very difficult for us to pull apart from our uh, traditional thinking on this. And I think that as I look to Jesus here, and he, he has this temptation now, you know, where, hey, if you throw yourself down, the, the angels, they're going to they're gonna bury you up. They're not going to let your foot dash against a stone. And Jesus just responds, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So don't put the Lord your God to the test. As I meditate on this and I think about what that means, that again and again I try to plan things, I try to do things, and then in my prayer life I take these things to God and say, Lord, these are the things in my life that I would like you to bless. I would like these results to happen as a result of my efforts in all these areas. And seldom do we come to God and say, Lord, what is it that you want us to do? And then take the time to wait and to see. And so rather than treating God like a, a, a Santa Claus or an ATM machine, we treat God as 
as God the Father, whom we have a relationship with, and we go and we sit on his lap and his presence, and we have this love for one another. He loves us, and we love him. And when he says, this is what I want you to do, we move and we do that, not out of obligation, but out of love for the one who has asked us. And so I, I, I commend to you this idea that too often in our prayer life and in, in too many of our spiritual goals, if it's around Bible reading or fasting or any of the spiritual disciplines, or if it's in the way we give and sacrifice, that again and again we're trying to do this as a method to control God and to make him, force him to do what we want him to do when uh, we need to be like Jesus here and say, no, I'm not putting the Lord our God to the test. Uh, he, he doesn't need to be tested to see that, uh, for us to see that he loves us. We already know he loves us. And so we just need to rest in that and not put him to the test again. And let me pray into that. Heavenly Father, I confess that too often I have put you to the test. Too often I have uh, made decisions about my own life and then just expected you to pick up the pieces. I expected you to rescue me when what I should have been doing was asking you beforehand whether to go left or right, whether to stop and wait or move forward. Help me, Lord, to stop and wait on you to hear your voice, and to, like Jesus, just do what you're asking me to do. And then there will be no question of uh, putting you to the test, but rather it'll be us walking together. Oh, Lord, help me to feel your presence in that way. Help me to trust you in that way. Help me to walk with you in that way and to never put you to the test as if you were someone who needed to prove yourself to me. I love you, Lord. And now let's move to our time of silent meditation. I'm going to read the verse, knock on the door, and then we'll take about 30 seconds before we conclude. Psalm 42, verse 1 says, As a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? Open the eyes of your heart. And now I'd like us to conclude with the um, blessing from Deuteronomy. Not Deuteronomy, I'm sorry, it's in Numbers. The number six 
famous uh, Levitical blessing that the Israelites were to give to one another. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This has been Meditations from Middle Earth. May God be your ever-present teacher and richly bless you on your journey.